Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Okay, I was actually worried for a moment with the delayed response that maybe we're going to need to get a little youth pastor in me out this morning. Uh, I'm glad you're excited. You should be excited. There's, there's a lot going on today. We just had a killer worship set. That was awesome. Praising God. We have baptisms immediately after this service out in the courtyard. Uh, these people are brave. They're getting in very cold water, uh, although no one told them that until just now, and you're sitting in here going... Anyway, uh, my name is Mike Cerati. I'm one of the pastors here at Compass, part of the preaching team. I'm really excited to be here with you today as we continue in our series, Jesus the King. We've been going through the book of Mark. Uh, We're in chapter 6 today, and we are taking Mark all the way up to Easter. We're excited about that. And really, the questions we've been asking, really, as Mark really wants us to ask is, is Jesus the king? Is he, does he have the authority? Is he my king? Who is this guy? So we're going to continue in that today. We will be in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. So if you have a Bible, we can start turning there. But before we get into it, I'm curious about something. We're going to have some fun here, if that's okay with you, okay? Uh, how many of you in this room would consider yourselves a foodie? A foodie, foodie. Like, if you think you're a foodie, just raise your hand, okay? And if you're like, I have no idea what a foodie is, here's the definition, okay? Very important. A person who has an ardent or refined interest in food and who eats food not only out of hunger, but due to their interest or hobby. Welcome to America. (laughs) Food, hobby, not a smart combination right there, right? Okay? Uh, Now, maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm a foodie. That's fine. I've developed a quiz. So, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to see who is a foodie here in this room. Question number one. Do you have pictures in your phone of yourself with food or food that you've eaten or even perhaps the person who you were dating who's very attractive with food in front of them? Do you have pictures in your phone? Okay. If you do, there's a good chance you're a foodie. Now, I'm not just talking about we went to dinner last night and I wanted to send someone, you know, a picture. I'm talking about like you flip through the phone and you're like, that was from three years ago. That was great. I remember that. Okay. Kind of like this. By the way, these are all from my phone, okay? This is a fun experience. I will say this. I didn't plan to go. I think the first question is, do you have phone food, food pictures in your phone? But then I went through my phone, and I was like, this is definitely an important state here, right? Okay? Um, you may be looking at this. Like, this all looks ridicu- amazing, ridiculous. By the way, that ice cream cone is as big as it looks, and that's on the pier at, uh, in San Diego. And I don't remember what that is on the top left, but there's two slides because there wasn't enough room on one with all the pictures in my phone, okay? Uh, anyway, question number two, very important. Question number two. American cheese is A, yummy, B, not cheese, or C, only acceptable on burgers. And the only possible answer here, if you're a true foodie, is B. In fact, if you like American cheese... I want to suggest that you travel to fries. They've got a wonderful section of cheeses if you would just expand, you know, like real cheese, not chemicals that give you cancer. We call it American cheese. Like, if you looked at the ingredients on that stuff, careful, okay? If you're a foodie, it's definitely not cheese. Number three, talk to me about pasta sauce. Okay, we got to talk about pasta sauce. Whatever jar is on sale at the store, you're not a foodie. I get the premium stuff from the store, still not a foodie. 
No, 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 no. But I start with a jar and then I doctor it up with my own enhancements. Not even close, people. A real foodie. My pasta's made from scratch. And my tomatoes are imported from Italy. <laughs> then you know that you're a foodie. My grandfather, late, I, I, just let me say this. I know how to make pasta from scratch and the sauce from scratch, but I don't import any of it from Italy. It's Mexico. Just kidding. <laughs> Joking. It's closer. It's cheaper. Good stuff. Okay. Last question. Uh, do you know who Guy Fieri is? Okay. Do you know who Guy Fieri is? Guy who? You're not a foodie. Just, just clock out. Okay. Isn't he that guy from Stop It? You're not a foodie. Okay. The next two I'll accept. C, why did you waste your time asking any of the other questions? This is the only question necessary. I completely agree. Although I would identify more with C, yes, and I only need restaurants from Triple D. Okay, if you have no idea anything that I just said, you're not a foodie and you probably um, don't have as good of a life as me. I mean, <laughs> just gonna throw that out there, okay? Um, no offense, but I'm not joking. Okay, today, uh, we are going to see Jesus perform two miracles, and as you might have guessed, one of them is going to be with food. Not just any food, though. We're going to be looking at food from a very common, very common ancient time lunchbox, okay? Something that looked just like this. Now, what I've gone and done is I went and bought some fish from the fish market. If you, if you go, or from fries, sorry. If you go and you ask them before they cut, I wanted the small ones. They're really stinky and slimy, I, I, but I wanted, oh! <laughs> So sorry. I'm so sorry. Where'd it go? Did you eat it? Oh, there it is. Okay, can I have that back? Do you want to toss that back? Yeah, just toss that back. Yeah, that's fine. It bounces like it's styrofoam or something like that. It's crazy. Okay, so. My real fish and bread, that's our ancient time lunchbox, by the way. We're going to come back to this later, ancient days. Okay, bread, fish. Um, you know, you may be sitting here going, no wonder they didn't, no foodies didn't exist until recently. If that was the options, I don't know why anyone would want to eat, okay? But there you have it. This is actually a lunchbox. We're going to come back. That's going to be important, okay? So as we continue kind of looking at the text, last week, Andrew was up on the stage, did a great job walking us through Mark 6, 1 through 29, really 1 through 30. He stole one of my verses. He's selfish. Um, and really what he helped us unpack was this was kind of a, a turning point in, in Mark, okay? Up until the text that Andrew preached last week in Mark 6, Jesus was the one ex exercising all of his authority. He was the one casting out demons. He was the one healing people. He was the one um, forgiving sins. He was the one doing all of this stuff, right? It was all him. But what happened last week is we see this switch. Now he's given authority to the disciples, and he sent them out. And so now, and not only has he sent them out, but he gives them some pretty specific instructions, right? What to do when you come to a house and, and what, how, where to stay. And when, when there's a city that, that you come up that, doesn't, that rejects you, like you sandals and dust, he gives them all this instruction. And then he sends them out. Okay, pretty cool stuff. And, and what, I want, what I want us to see here is that that turning point and that text that we talked about last week really is a continuation. This, today's text is a continuation of that. It's all meant to be read together. It's in chapter 6 of Mark. And so we have to read this together. It's, it, we're looking at really the sending training of the disciples. If you fast forward in, in, in the Gospels, we see at the end that Jesus tells his disciples, right, right after he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples, training them, right? 
I think what's happening right now is that go training, right? Jesus is teaching them. He's giving them authority, sending them out. So that is what leads right up into our text today. So if you have your Bibles and you're ready, let's read this. Verse 30, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, before we go any farther, let's unpack this, okay? I want you to kind of picture, you know how sometimes you, you, you send your kids off to do something cool, and they come back, and they're just like talking a million miles an hour about everything that happened, and you're like, what, what, what? And like, you don't, it sounds fun. I don't know what you just said, that kind of thing. I picture this with the disciples, like all 12 of them just coming up, Jesus, you should have seen it, that guy. And then I just, I had to throw my sandal at that guy. I didn't even wipe my feet. Like just telling these stories and all talking at once, just telling Jesus everything that happened. Why? Because this would have been an insane experience for these guys, given the authority of Jesus to heal and cast out demons and do all this stuff. And, and the opposition, I imagine the stories were like intense, 100 miles an hour. So they tell him, and Jesus, you can just see him listening, just going, yeah, that's awesome. And then what did he say? He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and, and rest. He's continuing their training. You guys remember when we talked about Mark 3, 1 through 6? We talked about Sabbath. And Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember that? He's continuing their training. He's reminding them that they have to rest. He's saying, even though you've done amazing things, now we gotta rest. Rest is good for their bodies. Rest is good for their hearts. And they're gonna remember that they're not God. That might be important, right? Considering he gave them his power. Like, that might go to your head pretty easy. I'm just saying. I, so this rest thing is important. So he's modeling this. Let's go away and rest. And why would he need to rest? Another reason is they're famous. Like, crazy famous at this point. They're so famous that the text tell us they don't even have room to eat. I mean, they are surrounded, it sounds like, at all sides. And originally, it was just Jesus, the one who was doing all the stuff. Now the 12 are doing it. They're like, these 13 people are awesome. Let's follow them. They even get time to eat. So they get in a boat, alone, just Jesus and the disciples. And it turns out, as we're going to read, this is the only time they're going to get alone together. Verse 33. Now many saw them coming and going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went to shore, this is Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. This is kind of insane. So they get in a boat, right? And they're like, push off. I don't know what you say. I don't know any of you boat people in here. Like, ahoy, like whatever. It's like, bye, whatever they do. They push off and they're heading in a direction. And a few people recognize them, right? These are, you know, there's a lot of people around, right? A few people recognize them. And now, all of a sudden, the news travels fast. Do you see what this says here? And, and people saw them and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns. So this is like sp news spreading to towns. And then they get there ahead of them. Like, did Jesus drop the GPS pin or something? How do they know where the boat's heading? I mean, I, I don't know how. F I, this is crazy to me. They're in a boat. I, I guess you can run faster than a boat without a motor. I, but even then, that seems crazy to me. This is fanaticism, isn't it? These people are fanatic for Jesus. They're running to the other side. It's, it, it, it's almost like the people are saying, like, there he goes, there he goes, there he goes. Well, sure, we got to run. Like, it's fanatic. 
And they beat them there. Now remember, they're going there for rest. Instead of rest, they get off the shore. They call it a desolate place, but Jesus looks around and says he saw a great cloud. Crowd, not a cloud. Probably those two, though, realistically. A great crowd. Now, I would personally be annoyed. Oh, I just want to rest, right? Food sounds good. But Jesus looks around and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you're thinking back to Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Remember when we talked about the man with the withered hand? The scribes were saying you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, sees the man with the withered hand, and has what on him? Compassion. Once again, Jesus allows rest to be interrupted, even though it's a good and godly thing. It's an important thing. It's something we're supposed to do. He allows it to be interrupted because he has compassion on the people, because he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? Let's unpack this. How many, do we have any like sheep experts in this room? I'm not. But here's what, here's what I've learned about sheep as I've read about them. They dumb. <laughs> I, literally read, <laughs> I literally read something that said, without a shepherd, they die. Like, it's over. They're, they're in trouble. I'm like, man, like, I, at least I'd run from a lion. I'd just sit there like, hi. And <laughs> they're not particularly self-sufficient. They're utterly dependent on their shepherd for protection and feeding. And so the language that Jesus uses tells us here that he sees them like sheep. They need a shepherd. And the imagery of a shepherd is one of both tender and tough, right? Because a shepherd provides, cares for the sheep, but also protects them from predators. So sheep without a shepherd, frankly, are doomed and almost guaranteed to perish. And so I think that's the imagery that Jesus is using here. And he's looking at these people going, they need me. If I don't shepherd them, they're doomed. And I imagine it's both physically thinking and maybe even spiritual. Or I'm sorry, it's clearly spiritual, maybe even physical. So he begins to teach them. He has compassion on them. He says he begins to teach them many things. You see, clearly Jesus sees himself, himself as the shepherd of Israel. He begins to teach them because the truth is he's the one they need. We'll pause real quick. Just a little side note, I'm kind of excited about this. If you're in a connection group, and hopefully most of you are, you, in your little connection group um, papers that you got in your program, there's a going deeper question that refers to Psalm 23. We're going to ask you to compare this text today in Psalm 23. I want you to look at those. There's some similarities there that are really cool. So make sure you do that as a group because I'm, I'm a little geeked out about it. So anyway, let's continue. Verse 35, back in here. And it grew late. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Can we just pause? Hey, Jesus. Yeah. This place is desolate. Yeah, I know. That's kind of why I said we were going to go to a desolate place. Isn't it funny how sometimes we try and tell Jesus what we know? Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but here's what's true. He's like, Thank you. Sorry, I just wasn't sure until you said something right then. It was rather enlightening. Anyway, let's keep going. I'm sorry, I'm making fun of the disciples. Forgive me. This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? This is not the disciples' finest moment, okay? It just isn't. 
Okay, I, we, first off, we don't, even know why they're, we don't even know why they're saying this. Why are they saying, hey, Jesus, it's getting late? I, is it, maybe it's compassion. It could be. Maybe they have compassion on the people. Maybe it's just practical. Maybe they're like, man, you know, like food. We talked about that earlier today. We talked about rest earlier today. And Jesus, we got here. You had compassion. All you've been doing is teaching. And oh my gosh, look at the time. Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, there's no electricity yet. So if we don't send the people away, it's going to get dark. They're not going to get food. We should, like, time's ticking, Jesus. We should go give them, we should send them home and give them something. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you give them something to eat. They're like, what do we have? What do we have? Jesus looked at them and says, you. By the way, if you don't know this, this feeding of the 5,000, which is the first miracle we're looking at here today, is actually recorded in Matthew 14 and John 6. And if you look at those different accounts, there's three of them, Mark 6, John 6, and Matthew 14. If you look at those, they all have extra um, information in them. And what we see, I believe it's in the John 6 account, we see that Jesus actually said this to test them. You give him something. He, he said it to test them. And it makes sense, right? Hadn't he just given them authority? They just came back from doing some pretty amazing things. Surely they would take this opportunity again to do it now with Jesus and, sh and show the people. Like, yeah, no. Deer in headlights. Right over their heads. In fact, they look around and they're like, mm, like Jesus, there's like a lot of people here. It would take 200 denarii. Denarii is a single day wager, laborer's work. That's the pay. So if you're a laborer back in the time and you work that day, you get an A single denarii. So it's 200 days worth of work to feed all these people. It's a, I don't, we don't have that, Lord. I don't know what, like, what do we do? They look around and they can't see that they already have what they need standing right in front of them. And you can feel for Jesus here, right? It's like, okay, guys. And you just kind of feel like, okay, guys, I, I guess I'll show you again. Verse 35, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go look for what, you, for, for what we have. And when they had found out, they said five loaves and two fish. You see, Jesus doesn't skip a beat here. Motivated by compassion for the people, he models for the disciples what they should have done, what he wants them to do. What does he want them to do? He wants them to ask the question, what do we have right here to work with? What do we got? Perhaps if they have done that, they would remember who was with them. They didn't, though. So Jesus sets out once again to show them who's with them. And right now, okay, let's take a pause. Pause. I don't know what this means. Pause, okay? Let's take a pause. This is kind of the lead-up that we've been going through right now. This is the lead-up to two miracles that Jesus is now going to perform that are aimed directly and done, I believe, for the disciples. He's going to remind them once again of who he is and who they have amongst them. So here we go, verse 39. So Jesus takes over. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set them before the people. And he divided two fish among them all. So first thing I want to point out, um, I don't know how, how, often, how many have heard this preached before. This is a fairly common text to preach. 
okay? Um, 5,000, as it will tell us later, as we read later, it's going to say, and that was for 5,000 men. 5,000 men were there that day. That does not include a number of the women and children that undoubtedly came from all, the, from all the surrounding towns. So these are scholars. Most scholars would say there's likely more like 10 to 15,000 people in the grass with Jesus that day. And the disciples are like, he's like, what do we have? And they're like, here, Jesus. We found a little kid's lunch basket. John 6 tells us a little kid. Mom packed him lunch. Thanks. Okay. I don't know how you keep that fresh, but whatever. He has them sit down in groups, and he looks up to heaven and prays, blesses it. Probably what the disciples should have done. I think he's modeling this. He breaks the loaves of bread, and he gives them to the disciples to pass out. Very important. What happens next? Jesus himself passes out the fish. That's what it says. You see, Jesus is no longer in the phase of their training where he's doing it for them. He's either, do, he's either asking them to do it or he's doing it with them. He's training them. He's preparing them. For the fact that one, they don't even know this yet, but one day he's going to be gone. By the way, can we just for a moment, 15, 10 to 15,000 people, stare at that. Let the size of this lunchbox from ancient times blow your mind. How did he do that? What did that look like? Like, did the bread regenerate as he breaks it? And they're like, whoa. Or is he just like reaching, you know, like the hats, you like reach in, you're like, got more. Like, I don't know how he did it, but I wish I could have seen that because that's cool because that's not enough to feed 10,000 people. It's crazy. Anyway, fun to look at, fun to think about. So he's teaching them. They pass out the bread. He passes out the fish. They're doing it together. Let's continue. Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. It's a lot of people that just got fed. First thing I want to point out here is everyone was satisfied. Honestly, we could sit on this verse right here and just park there. Jesus satisfies them. I think for them, they probably looked at him and thought, this guy's useful. But the reality here is that Jesus made a lot out of nothing and provided for them, and it says that everyone was satisfied. Oh, that we would see how deeply Jesus can satisfy us. I think that's Jesus' hope here, too, that the disciples would see. Next question. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. We start with one. I'm presuming everything was in a basket. I don't know. Looks good for me. Okay. We start with one. There's twelve left over. Does that math work for anyone? I really, I want us to look at that. I want us to see it. Let that settle in your heart. I mean, Jesus does some amazing things. He's not even done yet for the day, but this is impressive. I can't do that. How many baskets left over? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Mm. See that? I wonder if they did. I wonder if they saw it. I wonder if they recognized it. Wow, there's conveniently one basket for each of us. 
Jesus loves us. Let's see. Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Interesting here, if you look at the original language, remember the Bible was originally written in, um, in this section here was written in Greek. New Testament's in Greek here, okay? In the original language, the word for immediately is not just, oh, it was immediately. It was like with haste. He's like, Get, guys, go, guys, we gotta go, we gotta go. It's almost like Jesus all of a sudden recognizes something and wants to get the disciples out of there. Interesting, actually, if you look at John 6, it adds this detail. Perceiving then that they, the crowd, were about to come and take Jesus by force to make him king, Jesus withdraws again to the mountain by himself. Why did Jesus want the disciples to move so quickly? You know what I think happened here? I think Jesus sent them away here because he was sensing what was about to happen. That's what John 6 tells us. And the immediacy is clear. He sends them away with urgency. Why? Because I think that they would have joined in with the crowd. They didn't understand who Jesus was yet. They didn't understand what, who he was or what he came to do. And I think what happens is the crowd goes, man, that was an impressive thing. That's like 10,000 people that got fed and there's 12 baskets. That doesn't make sense. I bet you he could beat Rome. Let's make him king. Let's just grab him. We can put a crown on him, make him do whatever we want. He can just and destroy Rome. By the way, that was like a cartoon power releasing sound. See, the crowd looks at Jesus because he satisfied them and they go, that guy's useful. And I'm not sure, and I don't think Jesus is sure the disciples would have done anything different. I don't think he wants them to be a part of that, so he gets them in a boat and sends them on their way. He dismisses the crowd, goes up to the top of a mountain and completes his mission. Sabbath, rest. Jesus is alone on a mountain and he's praying past midnight by himself. And then Jesus looks out at the sea and sees that they've not gone far because there's a great wind that's against them. They are progressing, but very difficultly. Diffi difficultly. Why does it sound weird to me? Anyway. They're progressing, but it's hard. And so he has compassion. They're struggling. So he gets up. Let's keep reading. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Now, first thing I want to point out here is this whole question of he meant to pass by them. What does that mean? You see, it doesn't mean that Jesus was going to bypass them. In other words, that he was walking on water like a ninja. Jesus wasn't like, hopefully they don't see me. It's a little, little issue here with, the, with English in the original translation. I think that really a better way to translate this is that he meant to pass beside them. Meaning that Jesus walks on water in the middle of a storm with the intention of walking right by them. What's that, what does that indicate? Intention. He wanted them to see him. 
He wanted them to see him walking on water. He wanted them to see that Jesus was doing something else insanely miraculous. We're going to prove in a moment here today, baptisms. You can't walk on water. You go like this, foot goes in. No one can do that. So he intends to pass beside them. He intends for them to see him. And they freak out. Ah! I'm going to give him that one. I'm going to give him grace on this one. Why? Because if I was on a boat in the middle of the storm without an engine, you know, with, I don't, is it a rowboat? Is it, is it sails? Probably sails. We know it's probably sails. And, and this is hard. And then all of a sudden, a dude comes walking by on the water. I feel it. I'd be scared. I might go, ah! Like, I might, guys, like, put, like, Peter in front of me. They freak out. It's not like there was a, you know, 80 lumen or 800 or 8,000 lumen flashlight that they could just be like, oh, it's just Jesus. It's dark. It's stormy. It's probably just flashes of lightning. They're like, whoa. Like, this is out of a horror movie. They make great scenes like this. It's scary. And Jesus says, take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. And he climbs in the boat and the winds cease. Text says that they were utterly astounded. I want to point out here that this is a pretty miraculous night for the disciples. If we look at Matthew and John and Mark and we look at everything that's gone on, there's a bunch that's happened. And not, Mark doesn't record all of it. Jesus fed 5,000 5, men. He's walked on water. In fact, we see that Peter also walks on water. That Jesus stills the storm or the wind. And then in John 6, we see that once Jesus stepped in the boat, the wind stopped and the boat immediately arrived at the shore. That's a lot. That's, you know, the whole phrase, a drink from a fire hose. I don't know how you process all that. It was, an, it was certainly a night of wonders for the 12. The question is, do they see it? Do they see Jesus as just a miracle worker? Are they clear on who he is yet? Are they recognizing who Jesus is doing all of this for? And we're going to find out in a moment they don't. They don't see it. But I want to say that I don't think it's because they were particularly stupid or dumb or unresponsive. I think it's because they're just like us. Because you see, if they had known who was standing in front of them, I think they would have reacted to every single situation very differently. It seems that maybe they're starting to suspect who he is because if you look at Matthew 5, the first time, or I'm sorry, Mark 5, with the first time when Jesus calms a storm, the first time this whole thing is recorded, when he gets in the boat, they literally say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're going, who the heck is this guy? Like, oh, it's crazy. Now they're just astounded. They're no longer questioning him. They're just blown away. Utterly astounded. So they be, do they, are they beginning to recognize? Let's see. Take notice the final verse in our text. 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Here we see that Jesus' first miracle aimed at them was completely missed. They, in fact, did not see anything significant about the 12 baskets left over. They missed it. 
flew over their heads. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the next chapter, Mark 8, opens up with almost the exact same miracle being performed by Jesus again with the feeding of 4,000. He's doing it again, trying to prove the point, and once again, they miss it. But what does this mean in this text, that their hearts were hardened? What, what is that about? A more detailed translation of this phrase from the Greek would read something like this, their hearts continued to be closed. It's an imperative, meaning it's referring to the past. It's referring to what already was a condition and now is continuing to be a condition. They cannot see. What, is their, what, are, what can't they see? What are their hearts close to? The possibility that Jesus was in fact God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, much more than the miracle worker they give him credit for. I love that sound. Kids having fun. This is the disciples' continuing problem, ladies and gentlemen. They're quite able to see that Jesus can do the impossible, miraculous things even. They're constantly shown that he loves them. They still have not realized, though, in the fullest sense who he is. And so they continually fail to apply that understanding to their present situation. But remember, I don't think that they're missing this because they're dumb, stupid, and dull. I think it's because they're just like us. You see, I think their problem is also our problem. I know it's mine. This is our continuing problem. We are quite able to see that Jesus can do the impossible, miraculous things. And we are constantly shown that he loves us. But we still have not realized in the fullest sense who he is. And so we continually fail to apply that understanding to our present situation. You see, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the book, you know very well what Jesus can do. In fact, you can see from a different perspective, what the disciples are missing because they're up in the moment. And you can see that all of these texts in the New Testament point to the fact that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh and that later on he's gonna die on the cross for your sins and raise from the dead, conquering sin, becoming Lord and King of all once again, even your sin. And yet, I don't believe if we're honest that we, and I include myself in this deeply, we act any different than the disciples do. And we've seen the end of the story. Today, the one way that we can be different from the disciples that we read about in this text is that we can open our hearts to this truth. We can choose right now to recognize and look past what are hardened hearts. See, hard hearts are interesting things, right? They use pr pride to blind us of things that we need help with. And I think that hard hearts, and I'm, I'm talking through experience, this stuff, I went through this this week as I was wrestling with this. I think hard hearts are the kind of things that convince you that number one, I'm different. I, don't, I know exactly who Jesus is. This guy, Mike, Pastor Mike, you're not talking about me. I know who he is. He's changed my life. I'm sure he has. But do you really know who he is? And do you always apply that to every situation in your life? Number two, the other thing you could do is just say, look, this is true for other people. I'm telling you, Mike, I get it. I know who he is. You see, I think Jesus is showing the disciples three things in this text that I'd like to point out. Number one, when he feeds the 5,000, he's telling the disciples, I need you to understand I am what the people need. 
And number two, as he walks on water, I think he's telling them, I am what you need. And then number three, in both situations, he's, he's almost waving his arms going, I am right here. Why don't you see that? Why don't you use that? Why don't you understand that? You see, the big idea is that if we really believe that Jesus is king, if we really believe that he was our king, we would live and react very differently. You see, if we knew exactly who he was, then why are we worried about our circumstances all the time? Why are we not out in the world with an untamable zeal to make sure that everyone knows who he is? If we really say we know who he is, then what are we doing? How many people did you just talk to about God this week because you just couldn't hold it in? Why are we trying to solve all of our own problems? Why are we working so hard as if our provision, our own salvation, our own health is actually dependent on us? Why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious? Why do we put so many things above him? I don't. Yes, you do. Let me reword the big idea. If we really believe that Jesus was our king, we would live and react differently than we did this past week. Can I just tell you the truth? Because I had to wrestle with this. This was a very difficult passage for me. God kicked my butt, and I hope he does it to you too. I would have acted differently. There were circumstances, occasions, there were fears that I allowed into my heart, but because I don't, I don't, I just don't really believe it all the time. I, in my heart, I go, I love you, I trust you, I believe you, but in my actions, it's different. What do we do with this? Believers, Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, full disclosure, what I'm about to share with you is not gonna land as some big encouragement. And I love encouraging you. I kind of wish I could, but, but I feel compelled by the text today to land this exactly where God has this text land. You see, I fear that many of us in this room believe that we're more enlightened than the disciples are in this text. We're not. We may have moments, we may be growing, but honestly, if we let ourselves focus on those moments, our growth, then we might become blind to how much farther we can be challenged by the word of God. This week, believers, brothers and sisters, I challenge you to wrestle with the reality that you still do not live as if Jesus is your king in every situation and with every fear. Mark put this here for us to wrestle with, did he not? So we should. And I believe that if we wrestle with it, then it'll prepare us for what he has for us next week. So over the next seven days, I want you to make a list of situations that you would have reacted differently. I want you to make a list of fears that you allowed to take hold because you did not rest in Jesus as your king. If you're willing to do this, I believe the hardened parts, the blind parts of your heart will become clearer to you. Your eyes will be more open, and then you can learn to live and react differently in those areas because Jesus is, in fact, king. Is he not? You get in your connection groups this week. I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this. I pray that you do. We need to not be blind to the idea that our pride can close our hearts to hearing what the word of God has for us because we see ourselves in a light that is much higher than what the word of God would ask us to see ourselves. 
Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're free. Praise God for that. Now open your heart to what that means and will continue to mean. If you're in this room and you're not a believer, maybe you're not even sure about who Jesus is yet. Maybe you know about him and you're still not sure. Whatever the case may be, I want to remind you just briefly of the compassion that Jesus had for the crowd got in the boat, took his disciples across. There was a great crowd and Jesus steps out and he has compassion on them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you're here today because your life is not where you thought it would be. Or maybe you're here today because, whatever, and the truth is your life is not where you thought it would be. Perhaps you're struggling with the consequences of your decisions or you're wondering why things have turned out the way they have for you. Maybe you've been working so hard because in your mind it's up to yourself, to you to provide, for you to make it all work, but it's not working. Maybe you're afraid of what might happen next because you have no idea where to turn. You have no idea what you're actually doing. that's you today, I invite you to turn to Jesus. He loves you. He wants to provide for you and he wants to protect you. And he wants to use you and give you joy and give you hope. But these things are only found in him. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he took it upon himself to take the blame for your sin so that he could set you free from your shame and guilt. So that he could show you a new way of living, a way that starts by trusting and following him instead of yourself. I invite you to say, Jesus, I need help. And I promise you, just like on that day, will have compassion and he will lead you if you'll let him. And oh, the joy and the satisfaction. I pray that you'd let Jesus satisfy you. Let me pray. Father God, we need you we need you like the air. We need you like the water. We need you like food. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts to see how deeply we need you. We are all in the same boat. It's the disciples. Help us to see what it means that you're king and that you're here. Help us to live in such a way that we act as if we are led by the king. Calm and comfort our hearts as we surrender our lives to you. God, be with us this week as we open our hearts to the possibility that they have been hardened. Help us to see how we would have lived differently in the last week if we'd simply trusted and rested in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would overwhelm us in this room Anyone here, God, who's struggling with you, who's struggling with life, would you just overwhelm them with your deep, 
ocean of love. I pray they wouldn't walk out of this room without that overwhelming sense of love and acceptance that they have not felt anywhere else, God. And that you would just fill them with a hope and a hunger to turn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.